just a remix. When it became apparent that they were gonna think about doing something like that, you know, then you have to start doing your work and, you know, really diving into the process of researching, you know, the player, the player's fit, you know, and anything that you can to try to figure out if it's something that would make your team better. You know, hopefully when you're making a decision that's of that magnitude that, you know, you, you cross all the T's and dot all the I's and with Devontae, you know, we just felt like this is the kind of a player that you would consider doing this for. And after having the opportunity to meet him, you know, and, and spend some time with him the other day, everything that we had heard, everything that we were told, all the different recommendations and all the different things that we heard about him as a person, those were true too. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. You never know who's really available. And to, to trade, you gotta have a partner. Jason did his calls. We were in the midst of all that stuff when Tom decided to come back. And thank God, we could say, no thanks, brother. We're out of it. The Las Vegas Journal Review. Derek's fit on the team as a player is obviously what we're looking for and what we want to try to build around. I mean, you know, our relationship continues to, uh, to grow personally. Uh, we, we won't be able to do anything on the field here for a little bit, but, you know, that'll be a process. And I think ultimately, you know, you try to do what's best for the team, and I think both sides got to do what's best for, you know, when we get into those conversations with Derek, you know, Derek's going to have to make decisions about what's best for him. That's what each man's right is, and they should do that for their families. And at the same time, you know, we got to try to do what's right for the team. You know, there'll, there'll be a sweet spot in there, hopefully, for everybody, and we'll be excited to go forward like that. Make up stuff. Crush my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. I can't believe we keep getting sound bites about the relationship they've got to continue to grow with Derek Carr. When in that same that same interview, and we played the audio there, Josh McDaniels was like, after we got to meet Devontae Adams, everything yeah. that we heard about him was true. <laughs> they met Devontae Adams one time, and they were like, we're sold. This guy's getting a big contract. I don't even think they met Matt Crosby. I think they just said, <laughs> Max Max is in here first every day, last to leave. He must be a hard worker. Let's give him millions of dollars. I Googled him. And uh, he seems great. It's unreal how they continue to talk about growing the relationship with Carr. And everybody else is like, well, this guy, we went to dinner with him one time. We didn't even go to dinner. We just shook his hand. It's like, that's a good handshake. Here's Devontae Adams, they just looked at film. <laughs> like, ah, and they signed him. The they gave him all that money. And then he finally got there for them to shake his hand. All right. Here was a fun tweet yesterday from Vinore. He is at the uh, NFL meetings in Miami. After trading their first and second round picks to get Devontae Adams, the Raiders are not ruling out moving back up in the draft. As Josh McDaniels alluded, there were a lot of conversations happening in Palm Beach right now. Do you believe the Raiders could get back into the first or second round of this year's NFL draft? I want to say what Adam Hill said yesterday. Trade trade Darren Waller for a first. So... (laughs) Here's your list of players that I think the Raiders could get a first or maybe a second round pick for. I don't think it's it's longer than maybe it was in the last year, but here's your list. Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Colton Miller, Max Crosby, and Chandler Jones. Is there anybody outside of those seven you think could be traded and land a first or second round pick? No, I'm trying to think of, I'm going offensive defense in my mind here. Uh, AJ Cole is an All Pro guy. <laughs> if they uh, got a first round pick for a punter, uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be beautiful. 
best trade you could, in NFL you could history. Combine, you could combine the kicker and punter. Those guys oh. are both really good. Oh, that's that be a good a, trade. You might be able to get a second Yeah, if okay. you combine those two all-pro guys. So combine the two best players on the team yes. and you get a second-round pick. Second pick. The only other one that I think you could consider was be Trayvon Merrick, who was a second-round safety last year. Like a second, maybe? Maybe you could get a second back for him, but I don't even know right. that you could. Like that would, but that's, so it's those seven. Now, if you go through those seven, they just gave Devontae Adams, Max yeah, Crosby, him. and Chandler Jones yeah. a bunch of money. I highly doubt they trade those three away. They'd also have to take a massive dead cap hit to trade any of those three away. Colton Miller, this front office and coaching staff did not give him the long extension, but he's got a good extension. And like those other three, they'd have to eat a big pit if they were to trade. I think it's 13 million. If they traded Oof. Colton Miller, they'd have to eat a $13 million cap hit. So I highly doubt that Adams, Miller, Crosby, or Chandler Jones would get traded. So now you're at Carr, Renfro, and Waller. Yes. So first off with Renfro and Waller, the argument to trade them is the same for both. Number one, there's two reasons. Number one, they're both presumably going to need an extension soon. Renfro probably gets one this offseason. Darren Waller would probably get one next offseason. If for whatever reason you don't want to pay one of these two guys, then you trade them because you might be able to get a decent pick back for them. You might be able to get some value back for them because they're both considered good at their position. The other logic for trading one of those two guys is... Well, now that you have Devontae Adams, you don't need a third passing option that's that good, and you'd rather trade one to go find yourself an offensive lineman to right. start, right? Your team would be better off right. with two good passing options or receiving options. And a first-round offensive lineman. Right, and a right tackle you could draft. So that's the logic for trading those two. However, I'm not convinced you're getting a first-round pick for Waller or Renfro. Even for Waller. I'm not convinced really? you're getting a first-round pick for a 30-year-old tight end who doesn't block very well and is coming off an injury. I don't know that you're getting a first. There's not The tight end position doesn't carry a lot of value. This is not quarterback, wide receiver, defensive end. This is one of the lower value positions on the field. He's not young. He's coming off an injury, and you're going to have to give him an extension in the near future. So I'm not convinced you're getting a first-round pick for Darren Waller. I'm not convinced you're getting it for Hunter Renfro either. I was going to say I'm not convinced Hunter Renfro would bring you back right. first. I thought Darren Waller would. I, it's possible. There might be a team that says, yeah, we really need a tight end and we can get Darren Waller and, and be good to go. But I'm not – I don't think it's a slam dunk you're getting a first-round pick for Darren Waller just because of the position he plays. And he's he's not coming off the back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Right. He's coming off an injury season. So not convinced you would, which means – the most likely player you're trading to get a first round number pick four is Derek Carr. If you are, if Josh McDaniels is serious about this whole, hey, we could go back into the first round, the best way to do that is you're trading your quarterback. Derek Carr would absolutely bring you back a first round pick. Might at bring least you back two. One. Right. You might get two, might get a first and a second, whatever, right. but you're absolutely getting a first round pick back for Derek Carr. So if they're serious, if it's, oh, we might trade back into the first round, guys, it's Derek Carr. I mean, that that's the answer here. Maybe there's a trade partner for Waller that's out there, but in reality, it's Derek Carr. So if that's, again, McDaniels might just be saying that because, oh, anything's possible. We might right. do it. That might just be, he might just be saying, somebody might have asked, hey, are you, you thinking about getting back into the first, second round? Well, it's possible. Things are getting talked about here. Right. But in reality... If they're getting back into the first round, it's it's Derek Carr. If they're getting back into the second round, 
Waller, Renfro makes right. one of those two would make sense. And I'll be honest with you. Well, I don't know. Second round pick. Do you do you trust you can find a, a starting right tackle in the second round? Tackle, I'm not so sure. You can yeah. find a guard. Because if you because okay, if you told me right now, would you rather have we'll just use Renfro as the example. Would you rather have Hunter Renfro on next year's team or a average to slightly above average starting right tackle? I'm taking the tackle. I'm one one hundred percent. Yeah, because of Devonte Adams. Because I've got Adams and Waller. And Waller, yeah. And surely Brian yeah. Edwards can be a competent number, number three, three, right? Yeah. Uh, hopefully, if he's not, okay, you got some problems there. But like, hopefully, you can find some competent number three there. Whereas at right tackle, you're telling me right now it's Brandon Parker, right? I I if I could trade for a starting right tackle, but they're going to coach so. all these guys up. That's, That's the, the point. Part. They're going to coach all these guys up. A little scary there. But Very scary. The issue is, can you probably can't get a starting right tackle in round two, right? Like that's probably like they 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 drafted last year a second round tackle. They took him in the first round, but they drafted and a made second him a guard. Round tackle last year, and he wasn't any good at tackle. Yeah. They moved him to guard, and he wasn't, wasn't very any good, good at guard, guard either. So you might end up drafting Alex Otherwood again, right? And now you've got two of those guys, and now you've got an issue there. But. Do you think they actually make a trade to go back into the first two rounds? Second round, maybe. I don't think first round. I don't think they get back in the first round. Maybe they get into the second round. I would be stunned if they go back into the first round. Because, right. again, I think we're talking right. about Carr. Second or, round, I could see them going to the second right. round. Right. I think it does make a lot of sense to move a, a either Waller or Renfro. I think that moving one of them, if you can get a good value pickback, I think that makes a lot of sense. Because, again, A... You're going to have to pay one of those two, both of those guys. If you're planning on keeping them, you're going to have to pay both of them in the upcoming off seasons. And B, you can convince yourself you don't need that good third option that you right. can make it work with the top two and, and Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards. I wonder, do you think McDaniels puts more emphasis on tight end like Darren Waller because he had Gronk? Like, does he look around and say, question. we want that, we need yeah. that? Because of his system? Yeah. Like, Maybe. Like Gronk was... So good for so yeah. long in New England. Well, it wasn't actually that long, but so good for quite a while in New England that I do wonder if there's a measure of, well... We need him to run right. the system the way we want to run we it. Can, we can have a really good offense because we have a really good pass-catching tight end. I, I don't know. I I do also know Gronk significantly better blocker than yes. Darren Waller is. Like, not even close. So maybe there's a level of, hey, this guy's not Rob Gronkowski, so let's trade him, him away. There's also, oh, man, the tight end part of this. Last offseason, where Dave Ziegler gets most of his credit in the front office with the Patriots, they signed two tight ends. They went out and signed Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. They gave a bunch of money to two tight ends. So that makes me think Wall, they like, they, they're going to want to keep Waller. For, for, that you think for they overvalue reason. the position. Right, that they're looking at tight ends saying, we've got to have a good tight end. Let's go with, with a good tight Darren end. Waller. Yeah, and with a good tight end. Maybe Hunter Renfro can go somewhere else. Granted, the Patriots love their Well, I was going to say, if they, if they love their tight ends, look what they love about the slot receiver. <laughs> Hunter Renfro, I'm, I'm sure they love right now. Yeah, so there's your uh, there's your possibility of the Raiders getting back into the first round, which I don't think is likely unless Carr moves. Second round, potentially. I think they can get back in the second round. Yeah. And more likely, they're going to stay and hit, pick in the third. Yeah, I would assume so. You could also... Technically, you could also get into the second round if you traded like your third and your fourth. Like you could move into the second yes. if you gave. You could get into the second just by giving up picks that you have right. in this year's draft. Right. 
You're not getting into the first by just trading your. Th- you'd have to trade like next year's first to right. even consider it if you're just doing it with picks, and that would even then teams want picks now more mm-hmm. likely than not. So first round pick is pretty much Derek Carr, or you find somebody that really wants Darren Waller. And I'll, I'll say this: if you find somebody that's willing to give you a first for Darren Waller, oh, you make the trade. I'm making the trade. Yeah, make the trade. One hundred percent of the yeah. time. You, take the, you gone, take the first round pick. We'll figure out tight because end. if you take the first round pick. I mean, you've fallen in love with somebody. Well, yeah, even if you don't, it's I gonna mean, be it's probably gonna be more valuable than a tight end. Right. Like if you if you make a again, if you make a good pick at right tackle in the first round, if you say you get the seventeenth overall pick and you draft a decent right tackle, that's gonna carry and more value. And he turns out to, to be good. Team. Right. That's gonna carry more value to this team than unlike Darren Waller would. So unlike Alex Leatherwood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll unlike Alex Leatherwood. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's brief and a fun fact about the final four. Bischoff's Briefs. When life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back. Bischoff's Briefs. Get mad. I don't want your damn lemons. What am I supposed to do with these? Bischoff's Briefs. Demand to see life's manager. Bischoff's Briefs. Do you know who I am? I'm the man who's going to burn your house down with the lemons. Before we get into Bischoff's briefs, do you think it's unfair that number one seed NC State played number two seed UConn in the women's Elite Eight and the game was in Bridgeport, Connecticut? I mean, that happens sometimes. Houston kind of was in San Antonio, right? Yeah. So it happens sometimes. I mean, I think you just seed the tournament. So unfair? Well, if it's unfair, it just happens. It's probably a little unfair, but I'm also under the belief that Bridgeport, Connecticut had a higher attendance than the rest of the sites combined. Um, so they're going to get one every time, and UConn's going to be in that, right. that bracket that part, every time. Part of the bracket, yeah. So unfair, maybe, but monetary-wise, that's what they should be doing. Want to go double or single OT? Uh, double overtime. Yeah, North Carolina State hit a three in the corner at the end of first overtime to force the second overtime, and then UConn put it away all right, Bischoff's briefs today. Using your bench is completely irrelevant to winning in the NCAA tournament. Here is the bench minutes rank of the four teams remaining. How often they use their bench. Kansas, 297th. Duke, 314th. Villanova, 323rd. North Carolina, 343rd. Uh, thanks to Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star for this stat. The last 44 Final Four teams, 33 of them have ranked 200th or worse in bench minutes. That is basically 75% of your Final Four teams. Do not use their bench. Having a good bench, having depth is irrelevant in the NCAA tournament. What that is is really good research by Jesse. It is. Jesse Newell is great. So... Here's some, maybe it's logical, but I don't know there's any actual proof to this. I'm guessing NCAA tournament-wise, depth becomes less important because you play two games in three days, and then you have five off, basically, before you play again. Like, it's not a rigorous schedule. Yes, the two and three might be a little bit difficult, especially if you play a really tough first game. But for the most part, guys are going to be able to play two games in three days with no real issue, and you can... 
you can burn those guys up because if you win, you got five days off. You don't have to, you, you got plenty of time to recover before you play again. So what it comes down to in the NCAA tournament, play your five best players as much <laughs> as possible and don't worry about the bench. Uh, there's not as much wear and tear. And so, you know, if someone like Kansas is in there without using their bench very much, if you have a good bench, it's not going to be as helpful because Kansas isn't going to use their bench. Yeah. They're just going to use their starters for the majority of the time. If you go through the four final four teams, uh, three of them basically use six players. North Carolina has a little bit bigger of a rotation, but the other three, Duke, Villanova, and Kansas, they basically got six guys. They got their starting five and one guy that comes right. off the bench, and that's pretty much what they use. Villanova is going to be in an interesting spot because they lost their they lost Justin Moore. second or third best player yeah. for this year's team. Uh, they do have six guys, so conceivably they still have a good five, but we'll see Justin Moore was better than the guy they're going to have to bring Absolutely. off the bench to start for him. So we'll see how much that impacts Villanova. But basically, the NCAA tournament, your bench is irrelevant. You do not need to have a good bench. Depth is unimportant for the NCAA tournament. Now, if we look at the Mountain West and sort of with that context here, here's where the Mountain West teams ranked in terms of bench minutes. This year? This season. Number one, the team that used their bench more than anybody in the conference, UNLV. 73rd in the country in terms of bench minutes this season. San Diego State was second. Colorado State was third. So two teams that went to the NCAA tournament were in the top three. But then Air Force, San Jose State were in the top 200. Then outside the top 200, Utah State, New Mexico, Boise State, Fresno State, Nevada, Wyoming. So kind of all over the place in the Mountain West right. in terms of good teams and bad teams. Some were good and used their bench. Some were good and didn't. Some were bad and used their bench. Some were bad and didn't. I will make this one note. The best Mountain West team probably ever was San Diego State a couple years ago when the NCAA tournament got canceled. They didn't get to play in it because of COVID, but they would have been a two seed. They were 30 and two, 296 that year in bench minutes. Okay, so they he didn't use his bench much did at all. not use their bench. So I don't know that you can draw too much from the Mountain West standings and the Mountain West bench play there. I do think bench play is more important in the regular season because you're going to have, A, you're going to have guys miss games because of injury. So you're going to have to have good depth to make it through certain patches of the season. You're also going to have a little bit tougher stretches where, especially this year, because games got moved around where you're playing three games in six or seven days, or you might be playing five in the span of 12 or 13, right? Like stuff like that's going to happen and that you can get worn down and you might need to limit your minutes some more. But once you get to the NCAA tournament, your best five is all that's important. So the lesson for UNLV, the lesson here or what UNLV should be doing, it is so much more important for Kevin Kruger and UNLV to find the top end talent than it is to find depth. Like it is almost irrelevant for this team to go out and find more depth. They need to find the top end talent. That's going to be in their starting five because right now is Donovan. Donovan Williams is the only guy on the team that you'd say, yep, that guy looks like he could be like, Hey, he's one of your four best players that basically never comes off the court. Other than that, everybody else on this team is kind of role players. Everybody else on this team are depth pieces, right? Mm -hmm. You're Jordan McCabe, you're Victor E. Walker, you're Justin Webster. All those guys, they're fine basketball players. They're helpful over the course of a season, but those are the depth guys that you kind of, all right, maybe you're our fifth best starter or our sixth man, or maybe you're not playing at all because in right. the NCAA tournament, we're only playing six guys. So 
this offseason and really every offseason for Kevin Kruger and UNLV, the key is make sure your starting five is the best it can possibly be. And honestly, in the Mountain West, make sure your top three is the best it can possibly be. The depth is less important. You'll figure out the depth. That's something that's not you can get by without having a big bench. It's interesting. I didn't know any of that. I didn't either. Um, I, I was. I thought that was. I think yeah. that's fascinating. I had no idea until Jesse Newell tweeted about it a couple, like I think in the first round of the NCAA tournament about how because he, he covers Kansas, he's like Kansas doesn't use their bench, but nobody most, uses it. Most teams that go to the Final Four don't use their bench. Most teams that go to the Final Four have six guys, and, and that's it. One of the reasons you gave, I was on a Zoom with Jay right yesterday. He said the exact same thing as well. He goes the because they're talking about Justin Moore. He goes, here's the thing. He said the the NCAA tournament is unique in that we get five days. He goes, so we'll prepare, and he goes, we'll be, you know, he goes, we're not going to be as good without him. He said, but we'll figure out ways, you know, to play Kansas. And he said, and then he goes, if you're really fortunate, you just have to play two two games in three days. Now, he wasn't yeah. talking about the bench, but it correlates to what you're right. saying in terms of you get a lot of prep time, and, and it's not like you have a one-day prep, and you're like, oh, my God, we just lost, and now we have to play Kansas a day later. The weird thing about the NCAA tournament is that the schedule of the NCAA tournament does not match anywhere close to what the teams did in the regular right. season. Especially the when mo- they get into conference. For the most part in the regular season, you play Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, right. Saturday. And there's obviously some movement to Sundays or Mondays or whatever. Or but but for the most part, you're playing two games a week. You're playing a weekday game and a weekend game. It's never, hey, you play Thursday, day off, Friday, and then five or Saturday, then right. five days off before you play. Right. That doesn't really happen in the regular season, right? Like you might have that every now and then, but it doesn't happen. Even in the non-conference, when they play in the tournaments, you play like three straight days in those, right? You play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you're done with that tournament. So even when they play in these tournaments that try to get them ready for the NCAA tournament, you play three straight days instead of every other day and then take five off. So it's it's a sport where your postseason schedule does not match what your guys went through in the regular season. I mean, think about it. Postseason Major League Baseball. You basically play every single day in the regular right. season, and then you get to the postseason, and you play basically you travel every day. days. Right, you have travel days, but for the most part, you're playing every day still until right. you win a series, and you got to sit around and wait. Same for the NBA. You play every other night, right? The NBA sometimes they give you even two nights off in the postseason. That's pretty normal schedule. Same for the NHL. NFL is obviously every weekend, so it's the it's our biggest sport that has sort of the biggest schedule variance. Once you get to the NCAA tournament, once you get to the postseason, so. You don't need a bench. So it kind of sucks for where UNLV's roster is right now because their roster well, has a lot, a lot of... If that's true, they need a lot of better players. Well, their roster has a lot of good depth pieces. Like, well, that's the issue. They like need the, big-time players. The, the good part about UNLV's roster is they've got the depth. They've got the they've got the four through eight, right, of the roster. They've got good players that, are, hey, that's the fourth through the eighth best players on an NCAA tournament team. They've got those set. They just don't have... They don't have the top three. The top three that you need right. to be good in the NCAA tournament. So... You don't need a bench. It's overrated. Play your best five guys forever. Coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. All right, Ryan, we've got an important question to start for you. Which Golden Knights player could slap Kelly McCrimmon in the face and nobody do anything about it? Um, I mean, 
<laughs> no one's going to do anything to Robin Leonard if he decides to slap you. So um, I would have to say Robin Leonard. Um, and then you probably just kind of go down the hierarchy, probably be Jack Eichel and Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo. Anybody making over $8 million is probably <laughs> free to slap <laughs> Kelly McCrimmon. I think because of what happened to him in the last week, Daddy should get a pass and be able to slap anybody he wants. <laughs> I think Daddy should just go over and start slapping the media, slap anyone he wants. <laughs> Let's go up and hit well, everybody. You keep bringing up the fact that he was traded. He might do that. <laughs> He's going to slap you, Ed. <laughs> That's fine. I think it'd be kind of funny. Uh, do you? Who should get more credit right now for keeping the Golden Knights' playoff lives on life support? Evgeny Dodonov or Logan Thompson? Uh, both. Um, I mean, obviously, you're going to look at the fact that Evgeny Dodonov scored that that overtime goal um, and, and kind of gravitate toward that, but even though he allowed four goals, Logan Thompson was absolutely fantastic in that game against the Chicago Blackhawks. It could have very easily been a six, seven, eight goal game for Chicago. I mean, Alex DeBrinket probably had four or five really so- solid grade A looks in that game, and he only got the one past Logan Thompson. So, it, in my opinion. Um, it's probably equal on both sides. Dodonov obviously gets the, uh, the 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 press because of the storyline, but Logan Thompson was a big, big reason that the Golden Knights had a chance to come back in that game in the third period. So he's played well enough, yes, and we've seen Leonard on the ice now, so it seems he's very, very close. Has he played well enough to where if Leonard comes back and really struggles, they might go with him, or are they going with Robin Leonard no matter what? I think they're going with Robin Leonard no matter what. Like as as well as Logan Thompson has played, and the caveat to that is, you know, you 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 can't just not give the net back to Robin Leonard. It's not the same as Laurent Brossois. Brossois was brought in as a backup. He did not seize that opportunity to kind of take the crease, and he got hurt. Um, so you went with Logan Thompson because he was able to provide you what you needed. That was a chance to win games. Um, with Robin Leonard coming back, he's a $5 million goaltender. He's your ace. He's your number one guy. You need to at least give him the net and make and give him an opportunity to uh, to lead this team down the stretch because the fact of the matter is, as well as Logan Thompson has played, when you get into a playoff series and you start really honing in on tendencies, you start really honing in on how to break a goaltender down over the course of a seven-game series, um, you can pick apart certain aspects of the game for Logan Thompson because he's so new to the NHL. Um, and, you know, the fact of the matter is you've got a body of work with Robin Leonard where he has been good to great multiple times throughout his career. I think that if you're trying to go on a long run, you got to get Robin Leonard's game up to where it needs to be down the stretch. Is Laurent Brossois' time with the Golden Knights done? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, right? Like, this is a Golden Knights team that, regardless of what happens with you know the salary cap this year, and, and you know there's a lot of still ambiguity about Mark Stone whether or not he's going to be available, not just when it comes to this regular season, but who knows if the Golden Knights get into the playoffs, like if Mark Stone is going to be available because you know, Kelly McCrimmon at the GM meeting spoke yesterday, uh, kind of about all the ambiguity and, and the time, and who knows really what's going on with Mark Stone, his back, and, and when he's going to be 100%. Um, but, I mean, this is a team that's going to need to shed salary cap not just uh, before the beginning of the, the regular season next year. So um, if you're in a position where you feel confident in Logan Thompson's ability to be the backup and you feel like that, that cap hit for Laurent Brossois is too rich in terms of uh, a, you know, moving it to, 
to be able to sign other players, then I think that that's a very real possibility. What you're seeing is the emergence of Logan Thompson and and him saying, I can play at this level, and I think the Golden Knights are right there. So I, I would be surprised if Logan Thompson is not the backup goaltender come this time next year. Uh, Alec Martinez comes back. Uh, it's, you know, somewhat emotional. He wouldn't give anything away, but you realize it was very, very serious. What did you think of uh, what you saw from him and then what he said afterwards in terms of he wasn't going to talk about it, but he certainly seemed that it was even probably even more serious than all of us even believed him. I think we thought it was all serious. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that's obviously his right to, to not talk about it, and, and I don't necessarily blame him. Listen, if I were... If I went through something like what Alec Martinez went through, I, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. I, I think that the fact that he was able to finally get back into the lineup, the fact that he was able to to get back to the game that that he loves, it was was really the moment that that needed to be uh, talked about on on Saturday. So, like, I, I don't, I I think that he's absolutely in the right there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's you know when you start talking about you know, the, 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 the sport of hockey, how dangerous it can be. And then you start talking about cuts to the face and nerve damage and all these other things. Like it gives you kind of an idea of just how serious this was for Alec Martinez. And, you know, we kind of all sit there and say, well, he's on the ice, he's in no contact Jersey. Like, where's he at? Why can't he get back? And the thing that I always kind of came back to with Alec Martinez was this guy played through the playoffs on a broken foot. If he was able to go, he'd be going. And, and the fact that it took him 53 games, that it took him three and a half months to get back into the lineup gives you an indication of just how serious it was. But it was great to see him back on the ice. Um, you know, 13 and a half minutes didn't really overuse him. But down the stretch, you're going to need him, not just for what he brings on the ice, but also what he brings off it. Should the NHL have punished Ottawa for the Evgeny Dodonov no-trade list fiasco? So, I mean, I, I guess that kind of depends on where you're at, right? Like, by all accounts, and from all reporting that I've seen, it seems clear that on the original trade call between the Vegas Golden Knights and the the Ottawa Senators, that it was explained or, or intimated to the Vegas Golden Knights that Evgeny Dodonov did not submit his new 10-team no trade clause on time or correctly. So, therefore, it's null and void. Therefore, he doesn't have one. And if that's what the Golden Knights were operating under the assumption of, and they'd have no reason to believe that it's not because it passed through with the NHL, then somewhere along the way, either intentionally or not, the Ottawa Senators misled the Vegas Golden Knights. So in my estimation, yes, they should. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming down the pipeline. But, you know, in this situation, it'd be absolutely great if the NHL would provide a little <laughs> bit of transparency into what, what went on in their investigation and what they found happened on that original trade call. No. They can't do that. They can't tell us what happened. I, I, to be honest though, like I feel like the NHL should because to me the NHL looks really bad too because they approved yeah. an illegal trade. Yeah, no, I, I mean I would think that if all signs point to Ottawa, and that's that. I'm not saying that that's the case, but if it is, if I'm the NHL, I want to make it very, very clear that we didn't screw this up. We didn't. We didn't do anything untoward. It was what we were told by the team that had his no-trade clause at the time, and, it's, and the, 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 the onus is on them to provide the updated list, and they didn't do it. So, therefore, this falls squarely on the Ottawa Senators, and not the league, and not the Vegas Golden Knights, not the Anaheim Ducks. But if you can trace it back to one entity, 
and it's not you in the case of the uh, of the NHL, I, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. What did you think? Uh, Patchetti skates and then he re-injures himself during morning skate. Goes on. Uh, I believe they they did not put him on LTIR. No, did, they no. did not put him on LTIR. But I mean, how important is he? We talk about Stone all the time now, Riley Smith, but he comes out and you think he's going to go, and all of a sudden he tweaks something. Uh, I mean, important, obviously. Like I, I don't know how much longer the Golden Knights are going to be able to win games with you know more or less. Um, you know, going going into your reserves, half an AHL team, like whatever whatever you want to put on it, like the job that Pete DeBoer is doing right now, coaching this team, the fact that given all the injuries that they have and to the key players that they have out of the lineup, that they're even in a playoff race is is significant for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, I would say that it's incredibly important to get Max Pacioretty back, Mark Stone back. Um, Riley Smith back, but then I'd also extend that to Brett Howden and Nolan Patrick and Will Carrier. Like when you look at the fact that right now the Golden Knights have seven forwards out of the lineup that would be in the lineup every single game if if you weren't if you were all healthy. Like it gives you a real indication of what they fought through all season long. So would it be great to have Patch ready back? Absolutely. But given the way this season has gone. I'm just operating under the assumption that the Golden Knights aren't going to get any healthier for the for the final 14 games, and it's going to be on Pete DeBoer, his coaching staff, Jack Eichel, and the the top of the lineup to come up with ways to find to to find victories. Are they finding enough victories to get into the playoffs? Uh, oof, man, that's a loaded question. Uh, it depends on. I, I think I think this week is is kind of the biggest week for the Vegas Golden Knights in terms of their playoff hopes, right? Like uh, you've got two against Seattle and two against Vancouver and then in Arizona and in Vancouver. Like, you've got to find a way to win five out of six, right? Like, you, you cannot drop these games against Seattle. You cannot drop the games against Vancouver because then that's twofold. You lose to Vancouver, and then they get right on your butt in the standings. So, um, for the Golden Knights, winning on the road is going to have to come back. The ability to go into a building and take fans out of it, that has to come back. And I, I really think they've got to go on a run here for the next three, four, five games in a row in order to give themselves a chance. But, I mean, any way you slice it, you're looking at 14 games left. I think they need at least 20 points out of those 14 games. So any combination of wins and losses and overtime losses you want to throw out there, it gives you an idea of how daunting a task it's going to be for the Golden Knights. All right, he's Ryan. You can hear him on VGK Insider Show over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, also pre- and post- and intermission show for Golden Knights games. What do you got, Jared? Okay. You can either slap Darren or Chapman. <laughs> who who doesn't react? Who doesn't react? Yeah, who basically who just takes a, it? Yeah, who pulls a Chris Rock and just takes it? Oh, yeah, probably Chapman. Probably Chapman. <laughs> All um, right. I like like there there was a video of Darren and and uh, Gary Lawless jousting and Darren ran so quickly like he, he's not going to just sit there and take it there's no way all right well tune into the vgk insider <laughs> show to hear a slap thanks ryan thanks ryan later guys all right we have tickets to go see megadeth if you want a pair of tickets they are coming to las vegas in april and we've got two tickets for you 702-364-1100 is the phone number 702-364-1100 if you want to go see megadeth Call in right now, 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number five. Freedom. I don't think that's a word that um, gets defined.
in our society about the freedom to make choices with your life without someone telling you what to do and whether that carries over into uh, nuances of our society that uh, you know politicians control or government controls or things people that empower the powers may be right that control I'm standing for freedom so that's in all facets of my life and there's nobody that's enslaving me there's nobody telling me that what I'm gonna do with my life and that's just the way I am and if I get tarnished you know in terms of my image and people try to slander my name continuously because uh, you know that's those are things that I forget you're locked in the press box. I have no idea what he just said. I understood about every fourth word. Uh, who, who was it? Kyrie is not like he he he's fighting for freedom. Yeah, he's a voice for the voiceless. Remember? Yeah. Uh, congratulations to James. James won tickets to go see Megadeth. All right, Jared. What's the question you have for us? Okay. So, if we go through a timeline of what events were. Basically, on national television, or not on national television, on a streaming service, um, Will Smith's wife admits to cheating on him. Then on a na- on a like award show, she gets made fun of. The camera cuts to him. He laughs at the joke. They cut away from him. His wife doesn't like the joke. Sends him up there to go hit Chris Rock for some reason. He's consoled. And then later in that same, he's since apologized on Instagram. But... He says, love makes you do crazy things. Have you ever been in a situation where your significant other (laughs) has looked at you and you've gone, oh, God, I'm about to do something real stupid? Ed looks confused. That I'm about to do something stupid? Yes. That, like, have you ever been in a situation where... You gotta defend somebody. You gotta defend somebody. Or you're like, I guess I'm about to go yell at this waiter. Oh, well, does the day end and why? Am I doing stupid things? <laughs> no, but because your wife looks at you and you're like, uh, okay, oh. I guess. Okay, now I've, I've come around to it. She looks at me because she's mad at something, so I'm supposed to defend her honor? Yeah, or you're just supposed to get up and, like, I don't necessarily agree with what's going on, but I'm here. And there's about well, to be a scene. If you know my wife, she'll beat me to the punch and 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 she'll do the, it. She'll do it before she even looks she at me. She would have walked so up and slapped. She would have walked Rock. up and slapped Chris Rock before she even asked me. So. He's, he'd still be laughing at the chair. I'd go, still be oh, laughing at oh, the chair. Oh no! Exactly. Saying, "Where's she going? What's she doing?" Uh, no, I've never <laughs> been in a situation where I was going to defend anybody. Nor do I plan to ever be in that situation. No, I don't think he'll defend anybody. (laughs) That's not happening. If you want to fight him, go fight him. There's no chance. I'm worried about me. Um, My favorite tweet from Sunday night was Faux Polini, who said, do other husbands get to punch him too? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is very good. Very good. Uh, Jared, I... Do we need to ask you the question? I'm I'm guessing you asked us that this because is, you have. Oh no, there's just there. I've been in situations where I've been dating someone that I'm like, am I gonna have to go fight this guy? Is that what you're trying to make happen right now? He made like one off comment, and I'm like supposed to go over there and like get pummeled <laughs> because I could go pick a fight on my own. I don't need <laughs> you involved in this. <laughs> And that was one of those as, okay, well, I think what's going to happen is we're going to need to see other people. (laughs) Who convinced him to apologize to Chris Rock? I have to assume that's one of those. Is that one of the publicist agent things where you're like, "Eh, it might be time. They're talking about general public pressure. 
Yeah, I would also I so. say you wake up the next day and you go, oh, my God, is this what people think of me? Yeah, general public pressure, I think, was enough to get he him to apologize tweeted, to Chris um, Did he tweet? Oh, I saw 50 you? Cent DM'd him, and that's never when 50's like, let me wait on in here. Oh, no, he tweeted whelp yesterday. He <laughs> yeah. tweeted the word whelp, and it was 50-50 on the responses of like, oh, we support you, oh, we support you, Will, till Will, you're a complete idiot. Well, it was like 50-50 on the responses. They also found someone, because the internet's undefeated, they found a video of him making fun of somebody's alopecia. Are you serious? Like in the mid-90s. So wow. literally like, what happened to your sense of humor, man? Like the internet well, is undefeated again, at that. One of the best things about the entire situation was he laughed at the joke. He laughed at that joke. Yes. So, and you looked over at her and she had a look in her face that she didn't laugh. So then you got to go up and punch the guy. You're the you one who laughed. To. You, you, you well, laughed at the joke. That's Jared's question. Yeah, that's my question. He does have to go no, slap like, no, also, no, 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 that he felt he had to. No, I don't think he should have or he had to. I think, you know, obviously he felt he should have because how she looked. But it's like, then don't laugh at the joke. I mean, you, you know your wife is better, than, you know, as well as anyone. Well, you'd, you'd hope so. You think so. <laughs> well, apparently. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe. Anyway. As it turns out, no, you didn't. Uh, but you're working on it. I feel like my girlfriend would have not wanted me to defend her oh my wife's reaction to what he did she would have been more mad at me yeah absolutely she would she said you don't go up and and punch people right absolutely yeah yeah the, no question about that she would have really been like i said she was stewing until yesterday she was still stewing about it that he was allowed to do that and that the reaction was to go console him. I think she was more mad at that. <laughs> that, that, that Denzel Washington, Bradley Cooper, Tyler Perry, all these people went up to him and said, "It's okay, buddy. It's okay." And that and that Denzel told him, "At your lowest, at your highest moments, the devil's going to come get you." I'm like, "Is the devil Chris Rock?" <laughs> I mean, is that what you're insinuating? Because I mean, he said I, a joke about GI Jane. He's now the devil. I will say, I think the devil of this sense is. Your bad behavior. Yes. The, <laughs> yeah. The devil is walking up there. And Maybe that's it. I was like, face. I hope it's not Chris Rock. Chris Rock is the devil because he made a joke about G.I. <laughs> Jane.